1: The scripture reading today is 2 Samuel 7, verses 1 through 16, and 21 to 22. After the king was settled in his palace, and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him, he said to Nathan the prophet, Here I am, living in a house of cedar, while the ark of God remains in a tent. Nathan replied to the king, Whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it, for the Lord is with you. But that night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, Go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord says. Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? I have not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. I have been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. Wherever I have moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any of their rulers whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now then, tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock, and appointed you ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have cut off all your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name great, like the names of the greatest men on earth. And I will provide a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people will not oppress them any more, as they did at the beginning and have done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people Israel. I will also give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with a rod wielded by men, with floggings inflicted by human hands. But my love will never be taken away from him as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. For the sake of your word and according to your will, you have done this great thing and made it known to your servant. How great you are, sovereign Lord! There is no one like you, and there is no God but you, as we have heard with our own ears. Amen.
2: Good morning, Redeemer Lincoln Square. My name is Jay Harvey, and it's wonderful to be with you this morning. I'm especially eager to share this passage with you this morning as Redeemer Lincoln Square begins this initiative to pray for nine people for 90 seconds for 90 days. And this is especially encouraging to me because when we look at the New Testament, so much of the work of Christian ministry, so much of the work of seeing people transformed by the life-giving ministry of Jesus himself is actually centered in prayer. Of course, there is other work to be done, and God works through all that other work. But in our settings today, we typically have a default mode where we set prayer off to the side, whereas in the New Testament church, prayer is set at the center. And so it's really exciting for me to be part a small part of this work at Redeemer Lincoln Square, this new initiative for praying for nine people for 90 seconds for 90 days. Now, the passage that we're considering this morning is from the life of King David. Uh, how to sit with God is the title of this message. And this passage from 2 Samuel 7 is at the center of Christian theology. And the reason for that is because here in this passage, we see God uh, make a promise to David. It's a promise that builds on previous promises that he's given to his people. It's a promise that David's throne and his kingdom will endure forever. It's a promise that's ultimately fulfilled in Jesus Christ himself. So there is a sense in which this passage is certainly unique relative to the life of David and the life of Jesus. But there's another sense that this passage is exemplary for us because David is, after all, a person like you and me. And what we see happen in this passage is instructive for us because we see David's actions and dispositions shift as he encounters God. And in that sense, we can look at this passage and we can find so much encouragement and so much helpful for us as we begin this initiative of praying for nine people for 90 days for 90 seconds. And in particular, if we're going to pray for 90 seconds for 90 days. Then, in a minimum, we're going to have to sit. Now, you can, of course, pray standing up, but at least you'll sit metaphorically speaking in the sense of pausing and praying. And although 90 seconds is very attainable, and that's one thing I really appreciate about this whole initiative, is that it does seem attainable. Nevertheless, it does require that we pause. And we see David doing that. We see David moving from taking action for God to sitting before God. And it's instructive to us to see how he shifts, uh, what happens, how does his encounter with God move from, from that posture of acting to a posture of sitting. The second thing that we see here in this passage unfold is we see David move from this sort of disposition of seeing what he thinks would be good for God to instead marveling at God. So if you look at the text before us, you can see in the text how the uh, this, this shift in action and disposition actually takes place. So you see David is, is first of all, he's saying, we read in, in, uh, in 2 Samuel 7, verse 1, now when the king lived in his house and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, see, Now I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And the response of Nathan the prophet makes it clear that David thinks it's time for God to have a more permanent and more robust and more magnificent dwelling place. He wants to take action for God. And it seems like a good idea as well. The prophet Nathan, who after all is there to speak into David's life on behalf of God, says go for it. So all systems go for this plan for God. And we can see that David's disposition here towards God is he's thinking about what would be better for God or better perhaps for the name of God. But then at the very end of the passage we're considering, we see how this uh, perspective of David shifts entirely. So if you were to look down at verse 18 of chapter 7, David is now at this place where he is saying, Uh, Well, first of all, David's at a place where he goes and sits. He's not acting. Verse 18, King David went in and sat before the Lord. Big contrast there from how the passage begins. And then he says this, Who am I, O Lord, and what is my house that you have brought me thus far? So you see this transition has taken place. David's moved from acting to sitting, and he's moved from thinking, Hey, this would be good for God. To thinking, whoa, who am I before this God who is such a great and glorious God? And that line continues at the end of the passage as well. Um, he says in verse 20, you know everything that I know. Uh, you know your servant, O Lord. In verse 21, because of your promise according to your own heart, you have brought about all this greatness to make your servant know it. Therefore, you are great, O Lord God. There is none like you. None besides you, according to all that we have heard with our ears. So again, the action changed from doing something for God to sitting before God, and the disposition shifts from what would be good for God in David's eyes to instead uh, marveling <laughs> that God is great and glorious already in Himself. Now, what we see in between the opening of this passage and these concluding lines what we see is, is what David encounters about God that causes him to shift from that place of acting to sitting. Uh, we see what causes him to move from that disposition of seeing what he thinks would be good for God to marveling at God's greatness. And what we see is David comes to encounter God's power, God's provision for his life, and God's provision for his legacy in a fresh way. Now, these are aspects of God that David already Knew about, and since he had already beheld. But it comes to a deeper understanding in these particular moments. So, first of all, consider that David encounters God's power in a fresh way uh, in this particular passage. Now, this idea that uh, David has to build a house for God's ark, the, the place where um, the, the God was dwelling with his people most eminently, was in the Ark of the Covenant. And uh, David wants to move this from this transitory structure of the tabernacle and put it in a permanent structure he desires to build in Jerusalem. And that looks like uh, a good idea on the surface. But if you understand and have read the, the narrative of what's leading up to this point, there's some interesting things to take note of. For example, There had been a time uh, in in the history of Israel where the ark of God was actually captured by her enemies. And the ark was shifted around uh, in the enemies of of Israel among six cities, and everywhere this ark was placed, a curse was brought upon the people, so much so that this ark, which was uh, inlaid with gold and was very ornate and beautiful and extremely valuable, was actually sent back to Israel by her own enemies. Um, there was a time whenever this ark was transferred to someone for safekeeping. And just by being in their presence, this ark brought them great blessing. So why do we point this out? Well, David is aware of this history himself. And when 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 God addresses David in the situation, through the prophet Nathan, telling him that, you know what, I don't want you to do this right now. God is reminding David of his own power. David himself, of course, would have known of the power of God. But in these moments, it seems as though he's particularly focused on doing something for God and that he's forgotten that, no, God doesn't need the protection of a bigger house. God is able to glorify his own name. God is able to protect himself. So what we see unfolding here is the word of the Lord comes to the prophet Nathan, checking Nathan so that Nathan can in turn check David. And what does God tell Nathan to tell David? He says in verse 6, Go and tell David to remember, I've not lived in a house since the day I brought you all out of Egypt. I've always been moving around in a tent. You see, there's a sense in which David's idea on the surface seems laudable. When you understand the history of God's dwelling with his people, and particularly the history of this ark, it's a little bit comical even. God is saying to David, you think I need your protection? You think I need your ideas about making a dwelling for me? Have you forgotten how I've defended you? Have you forgotten how I've defended my own name? Have you forgotten the power that I've manifested in miraculous ways? David, I am powerful. I don't need you. You know, I don't want to judge David harshly in this narrative. The narrative itself doesn't present a harsh judgment of David, does it? But there are certainly times in my life, and there might be times in your life, when things are going well like they are for David here, and we start thinking that we know this comes from God, and we start sort of thinking and acting a little more independently. And so if you've had a fourth quarter where the earnings are through the roof, or you've just signed a new contract that's going to provide for your company for the next five to ten years, or if you've admitted a, a great group of students, whatever it could be in your field of endeavor, there are those times whenever things are going really well, and we can subtly start to assume that some of the power for that has really come from us, or we could suddenly start to presume that we know the next best thing to do. I think that's the place that David is in here. Things are clicking for David. Things are clicking for Israel, and so it seems to be the next best thing to build this house for God. And God says, hold on, wait a minute, that's not my plan in these moments. If we're gonna stop and sit before God, we need to step back and recognize that all the power for the things that we have, all the energy and the gifts that we possess, all the blessings that are being generated through our hands actually come from God himself. And we need to remember that, because if we're going to stop this hurried pace, even for 90 seconds, we're going to have to repent of the idea that this strength and power is from within. Because even stopping for 90 seconds can can sometimes feel like a threat to our own success. It sounds funny to say that, but it's true, isn't it? So David has this fresh encounter with God's power and we need to have that same kind of encounter. In the next 90 days, there are going to be many times when we're tempted not to pause for 90 seconds because something is so urgent that even 90 seconds seems too long to set it aside. But we need to remember, God is powerful to take care of the next 90 seconds. And he's powerful to take care of the future as well. Now, from, from this position of experiencing God's power, David then comes to see afresh God's provision for his life. In fact, it's God himself who introduces this next theme to David. The text gives a natural division to see these two themes breaking out.
0: At Redeemer Lincoln Square, we value questions and the people who ask them, which is why we hold a time of question and response, or Q&R, after our Sunday worship service. It's an opportunity for anyone to text in questions and then process responses alongside our pastors and other members of our church community. If you have questions that you'd like to process, feel free to email us at lsq@redeemer.com or join us for our virtual worship service on YouTube every Sunday at 10:30 a.m. Eastern. You can find our YouTube channel at Lincoln Square
2: So you see in verse 4, the word of the Lord came to Nathan, Go and tell my servant David. And then you see again in verse 8, Therefore thus you shall say to my servant David. So God himself, sort of in the scriptures, divides out these two segments. So from God's power, we then see God's provision for David's life just as God was powerful to protect his own name, even whenever he found himself dwelling eminently in this ark in the midst of Israel's enemies, so he's also used his power to provide for David's life, God's provision for David's life. And we see here in verse 8, David began as a shepherd. He was the least impressive in one way of all of his brothers. Now, that being said, David's brothers must have been pretty impressive in themselves, because David becomes a very, very impressive man. He is a poet. He is a warrior. He is a writer. He is a leader. And he is somebody who cares deeply about his faith. He was a shepherd as well as a king. So David is somebody that, on the one hand, is great on the mountain bike trail, on the other hand, would be great in the military, on the other hand, would be great um, in a literary circle or have a contract with a publishing house. And he's a musician on top of all of that. This is a remarkable person. And yet God reminds David that as remarkable as he is, he wants him to always know that it's been God who's provided for his life. It was God who elevated him from that place of being a shepherd, and made him into a great king over Israel. And the Lord says he's going to make David even greater than David imagined he could ever be. He says that he's going to make a great name for him, like the name of the great ones of the earth. Now what's interesting here, as as God reminds David of his provision for his life. What we see here is that God has plans for David bigger than David had plans for himself, Right? And this is also very instructive for us. We need to remember when we pause and sit before God in prayer, when we offer ourselves to God, we offer our requests to God, when we offer these nine names to God, God is doing something bigger than we ever imagined for our own selves. We don't know what that's going to look like. David has the the special opportunity here. He's given this word, and we don't get it quite that directly and quite that specifically. But we can be sure of this that God loves us and cares for us and has better plans for us than we have for ourselves. He's provided everything that we have. So we can pause and we can trust Him. And the 90 days to come, that too is going to be important because we're going to have to cease from being hurried in a moment, whether it be in the morning or in the evening or the middle of the day. And remember that we can pull back, take time, all for ourselves and present these people to God in prayer and know that just as He provided for our past, He's going to provide for our future. And we can also know this. These nine people that we're going to be praying for in the next 90 days, it's amazing to even consider how God will use this prayer in their lives. You have no idea. We, we really don't have the capacity to imagine it. We know that God works through prayer. We know that He works through His people praying. But just as He had bigger plans for David, He has bigger plans for you. And just as He has bigger plans for David, He also has bigger plans than these nine people you're going to pray for, even realize for themselves. And by entering into prayer before Him, you're becoming part of His process and bringing these plans to fruition. And that's really exciting. So we see that David has this fresh encounter with God's provision for his life, and we need to have the same so that we can persist with joy in this 90 days of prayer for 90 seconds for nine people. The last thing that we see in this text well, there's so much stuff to see, so many things to see in this text. It's not the last thing we could ever see, but for for the context of this message, the last thing that we want to look at here this morning is God's provision for his own life legacy. Part of this greater plan that God has for David that reaches beyond what David would have ever envisioned for himself is to establish his legacy. God promises to David that he's going to establish his throne and his kingdom. He's going to raise up a seed, an offspring in verse 12, literally a seed, who will come from his own body and establish His kingdom and his house forever. Now, in the ancient world, this is exactly the type of promise that an ancient king would want to hear. That your future, not only in your own life, but for the life of your children, is entirely secure. And to have this blown up (laughs) to not only be secure for a generation or two, but to be told that it's going to be secure forever is truly mind blowing. Um, To have this blown up where it's going to be for the whole world is truly mind-blowing. And David recognizes the mind-blowing aspect of this promise to him. He says toward the end of this passage that this is a word of instruction that is for all mankind, he says in verse 19. David gets that there are cosmic implications to the way that God is providing for his own legacy by raising up a son and establishing his kingdom forever. Now, as we think about this in relation to ourselves, of course, there's a sense in which this is a unique word to David. It's his seed that is being established forever. It's his throne. It's his kingdom, David's kingdom. But it's also, again, a word for us. It's a word for us in two ways. Well, first of all, we actually are heirs of this promise. The fulfillment of this promise comes through Jesus himself. And when we know Jesus, we become part of this promise. We become heirs with David of the glories of this kingdom, not because of ourselves, but because of Jesus. So in that way, this promise is for us. And this legacy of David also belongs to us. But there's another way at the human level I think this touches down for us in a very concrete and powerful way. We are prone as those who care for others, be it um, if you have adult parents, you may be caring for them. If you have children, you may be caring for them. Um, You have roommates that you care for. We, We are prone to care for others. We are prone to care about our legacy, especially as it relates to other people in our lives. And if you have children, you're especially prone to care about their future and their well-being. How much of our labors are really for our children's well-being? And this is a universal concern of all people across the world, right? So when we look at God's care for David's own legacy, it can also remind us that God has the future of our own children in His hands. And the best thing that we can do is to model for them what David here is modeling for us. The best thing we can do for those that we care about and for our own legacy is to do what David does, to be awed by the power of God, to be awed by God's provision for our own lives, to be awed by the promise of the future that awaits us in Jesus Christ, to model that before our children on the one hand and to seek that on their behalf in prayer, on the other hand. So God provides for David's legacy, and he will provide for yours as well. If we're going to stop, sit, and pray for 90 seconds for the next 90 days, we're going to need to be confident that God has this glorious future in store for us. We're going to to be confident that God's going to use our prayers as part of advancing this kingdom that he's promised to David. And lastly, and in conclusion, we need to be confident in Jesus himself, who is the one who is the very fulfillment of this promise of a kingdom to David, the promise that that we share in, in Jesus as well. You know, one of the reasons that we can be reticent to pray is that deep down inside of us, Sometimes we can doubt the goodness and love of God. It could be for all kinds of reasons. Maybe a a season of suffering that you're experiencing. Uh, Maybe um, a a particular trial in your family or at work. Regardless of what the reason is, we can have some nagging doubts sometimes about God's goodness. This This can also come from other damaged relationships that have been very significant to us and therefore... The wounds are deep, and it's hard for us to trust others, even God himself. But what we should see here is that God wants us to see that he loves us in the most deep, perfect, and eternal way. And the way he demonstrates that love is through giving his son Jesus Christ for us. He wants us to look at Jesus, and he wants us to see how much he loves us. And you see that prophesied here well before it happens, thousands, over a thousand years before it comes to pass. You see it prophesied here. In verse 14, when God promises to give David a son and establish his kingdom forever, God says, I will be a father to him and he shall be to me a son. There's a promise of the incarnation. When he commits iniquity... I will discipline him with the rod of men and with the stripes, that is the lashes with a whip of the sons of men, but my steadfast love will not depart from him. What is God saying here? This is a promise that is fulfilled successively. It's initially fulfilled through David's line and the kings that will come from him. And so in their rebellion and in their imperfections, they encounter some discipline from God as their own father. Um, They also encounter opposition from the enemies of Israel. But this promise culminates in Jesus himself. Jesus, who comes, and as the scripture says, is without sin. He knew no sin, and yet he is made sin for us. He becomes as one who commits iniquity, even though he did not. Jesus, who deserved no discipline, he lived a perfect life, all of his life, and yet he's disciplined with the rod of men as he's beaten before he goes to the cross. He's punished with the lashes from the hands of men when he didn't deserve it as he goes to the cross. And yet in verse 15, this is all flowing from God's steadfast love to his people, God's love does not depart from Jesus as he's suffering for us at all. But ultimately, God vindicates Jesus. Beaten, lashed, crucified, died, buried. He is raised on the third day. He's raised on the third day. He is then ascended where he reigns now over all things. And his kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. You know, God wants us to look on these words this morning and to see Jesus and to be assured of His love for you. And when we come before Him in prayer, you can be certain of this, that He loves you so much, He delights to hear your prayers. You can be certain that the Son that He gave to demonstrate His love for you is the same Son who the Scriptures say is interceding for us now, on our behalf. So even as you pray, you know that Jesus makes your prayers perfect. (laughs) Don't you sometimes wonder if you're praying okay or what do you say or what not to say? We need not worry about that anymore. Jesus is there. And you can know that you can trust this Jesus with your very life, not only with these nine people that you're going to be praying about, but with your closest and most personal concerns for yourself, uh, for the ones that you love, For all days to come. Thank you, and I hope you join with me in looking to this Jesus in days to come as we gather together as a congregation, nine people, 90 seconds for 90 days. Know that Jesus is already there ahead of us, and He's joyfully ready for you to join with Him. Lord, I thank you for your goodness to your people. I thank you for your grace and your mercy and your love. I thank you that you are a powerful God who provides for our life and for our legacy. And I pray for Lincoln Square as a church that in this season, and in this initiative, above all, it would be a time of rekindling of the experience of your great love for us in Jesus Christ. And I pray these things in his name. Amen.
0: Thanks for tuning in to our church podcast. We pray that it can serve as a resource for you as you continue processing aspects of Christianity and growing in your faith. We hope you'll subscribe to our channel if you haven't already, and we invite you to check out our website to learn more about our church and how to get connected to our family. Just visit linconsquare.redeemer.com.